Bettina from Bettina's Kitchen and I'm a plant-based chef, cookbook author and blogger. And I'm Nikki from Rebel Recipes. I'm a food blogger and also a cookbook author. And this is our podcast, What the Focaccia, kindly brought to you by the lovely team at Odyssey. Very much like us, Odyssey believe that food is a way of getting us back in touch with the things that matter the most in life. Food is so good at bringing us together, getting us to think about new ideas, and of course, feeding good conversation. Bettina, you're so right. Odyssey actually specialise in supplying fabulous Greek and Mediterranean flavours and ingredients. And you can see it all for yourself on their website, which is odyssey.com, spelt O-D-Y-S-E-A. It's definitely worth checking them out. And also they have a recipe section, which has some amazing food ideas. And they have very kindly given us an exclusive offer for all of our podcast listeners. So if you order anything from Odyssey and use the code WTF15 at the checkout, you'll get 15% off which is even more of a reason to check out their lovely produce. Right, let's meet this week's guest. Rachel Koo is a food writer with multiple successful cookbooks. She's a broadcaster and has had TV shows on the BBC and the Food Network and also um, a very entrepreneurial lady and has set up online lifestyle magazines and the creative space Collect. Welcome to oh. our podcast, What the Focaccia. Rachel, we're so excited Thank you to so have, much. have you. Oh, I, so excited. I was doing the ironing last night and this is a new thing I, I'm into. <laughs> this is how desperate I am. I like ironing now because I put on a podcast and I and I get some peace. Like for half an hour, I do ironing. And I, I was listening to the one you did with Gizzy. Yeah. Um, and also I listened a little bit to Melissa, but I didn't get that far enough because there were screams from a, from the <laughs> the rest of the house from my two young kids. Shout so the ironing out. couldn't save you so, for that yeah. long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're in Sweden. So... Funnily yes. enough, I grew up in Sweden for 12 no. years. Yes. What? So, yeah. So I speak Swedish. You speak Swedish. I grew oh. up in Stockholm, actually. So from the age no. of 11 <laughs> to about 21. And actually, my daughter, I speak Swedish to her. And my grandmother used to live in Sweden. My dad's Norwegian. So, yeah, you're based in Stockholm. And oh, how come? Tell us about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Paris, everybody knew I like I lived in Paris for a while and I lived in Paris. That was for love. No, that was for the love of pastries. Let's put it that way. I love uh, pastries. But uh, Sweden or Stockholm was for the love of a man, basically. <laughs> like most of my friends so good. here, we all ended up because they met a Swede and not the vegetable kind. So, um, yeah. So that's why I ended up in Stockholm. And I must say, like, because I have a young family, like living in Sweden in terms of social support, parental leave, healthcare, I just feel so grateful. There's no way I could have the career I have now because I have two small kids without like the parental leave you're given here and like the nursery, like the highly subsidized yeah. nursery. So so it, it for me, it, you know, I have to put up with really cold dark winters which is like six months of the year but it's worth it so are you planning is it this your, is this your home forever now um you know what I never say forever like I thought I would live in Paris for one year and I ended up being there for eight years so um wow. yeah the moment is a That's great a long place. time yeah. yeah but like I mean who knows who knows where life might take you I, I mean I think what I've learned quite quite actually in the last six months probably most is 
just don't expect anything. You never know yeah. what's going to happen, you know, and be be willing to like uh, think on your feet and, you know, pivot, change, come up with creative solutions and not be um, scared of a challenge or, or like uh, I say failure. Now I look at failures. Yeah. I'm trying to see failures in my life as Actually, it's not a failure. It's just something which didn't go the way you wanted to. And how can you make that experience into something which is positive and learn from it? And, you know, um, and that way you just end up growing, you know, I, life I think is difficult, you know. It is, it so, is. Yeah. And I think you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that, you know, the situation in the last six months has obviously been so strange and crazy that we've all had to sort of adapt and learn and sort of, you know, and think, well, oh my goodness, the things that we thought maybe were, you know, building and growing and, and, and that's now completely gone. We have to adapt. So, yeah, I think that because the ground's sort of shifted so much, I think we're all in that position, aren't we? We just have to sort of think, well, yeah, those may have been my plans, but now I have other plans. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Because you've been in Sweden, I think it's been a little bit different to, to the UK. You've had a, a bit more, a bit, a bit freer. Yeah. So, I mean, what's been interesting. So when like a week before lockdown, I was supposed to film a TV show in the UK. So in London, Paris, Amsterdam, and that got like, that's off the plate. That didn't happen. And then um, we decided to leave Stockholm and go stay with my husband's family in the countryside in the middle of nowhere. So you know those Scandi thrillers? So imagine like uh, the first time I went to this place, it was raining, it was grey, forest, lakes. And I was like, oh my goodness, if this guy, you know, has just started dating my husband, if this guy murders me, nobody's going to find me. Because <laughs> yeah. it's like in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> this place is the middle of the nowhere. You have to drive 45 minutes to uh, get to the, the nearest town um we you know so it's in the middle of nowhere so we decided to go spend two months there yeah. which meant I had to juggle work and kids at home at the same time so I totally understand and I'm still kind of doing that at the moment because they've got a really strict policy at nurseries now that the slightest sniffle your mm. kid's not coming in so mm. and that's with toddlers you know, they always have a sniffle. Yeah, <laughs> it's a nightmare. So, never so juggling kids at home with work. And I decided to, I thought, well, look, I can't do a TV show in the UK. Is there something I can come up with and I can film in Sweden? And the director at Discovery um, reached out to me and she said, look, if you can come up with a show, you can like film with lockdown restrictions, send me some ideas. So over a weekend, I was like mad ideas like version a version b da, 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 even <laughs> yeah. like self-shooting husband shooting <laughs> option and my husband is no cameraman mm. so i came up with all these versions and from pitch to uh filming the show it was like less than a month and it was madness because normally you have you have a production company behind you you like i'm you know i am always behind the scenes and very much involved in the production side but this like TV show Rachel Koo's Simple Pleasures is like I'm an exec producer so everything from compliances making sure all the crew and I say crew it was me and a cameraman <laughs> and a local cook and a yeah. runner so four people yeah. yeah um we had to take our temperatures in the morning and the evening you know had to do the two meter thing everybody wow. you know was staying in this little kind of village so we weren't like meeting other people it was nuts but 
what I've learned is just if something doesn't go your way or not how you envisaged it, just find another way. So that was kind of my approach to what what an amazing challenge and opportunity, though. That's great. Must have been a really steep learning curve, obviously having the bigger team usually to suddenly you're having to take on all these additional roles. Yeah. So, I mean, I have a background in food styling. So before I did TV, I did a lot of food styling. So I, you know, I was like trying to find props and like even had to do some of the set design. The kitchen at my in-laws is very white, which is a nightmare for a camera. So I was trying to sew a curtain to cover up the dishwasher. Super (laughs) ugly. I can't sew. Yeah. I cannot sew. So I was using sticky back double tape and I tried to stick it on the dishwasher. (laughs) And then, because the tiles are, the backsplash are all white. So I got these sticky on tiles, uh, stickers, like the blue and white. So I didn't, I couldn't get enough. So I had to alternate white tile, blue and white tile, white tile, blue. That's great. So, so Rachel, so we must talk a little bit about how everything started. So, I mean, because also you could probably in a position now where you can probably be a bit stronger sort of creatively, but I mean, I don't know when you first started when, I I mean, I think your first English book was was a little uh, (laughs) Paris kitchen, but then you had some books before that, didn't you? And yeah, tell us how it all started. Was it books or was it books or TV show first, actually? Book. Books, books, books. So um, I went to art college in London. I went to St. Martin's. Um, I did all my projects about food. So we had an architect (laughs) project and we had to do a a shop model to scale. And I made it out of gingerbread. And I was like, (laughs) use the scale ruler to to like measure out the gingerbread. Um, And then, you know, when I graduated, I couldn't get a paid job in food styling. So I ended up doing PR marketing and fashion. And then by my mid twenties, I was like, you know what? I really want to get back into food styling. And a lot of people who were in that field were saying, either go work in a restaurant or go get go to culinary school. So I looked at culinary school in Paris, Vienna and London and decided for Paris because I had a plan B, which was if the food styling didn't work out, I could learn French and then become a trilingual secretary in the city. So <laughs> <laughs> I plan. speak English, German and French and Swedish, yeah. I'm, you know, it's, it, I can have a, I understand my three-year-old who speaks you know, my kids are bilingual. So, um, yeah, so that was like my backup plan. And when I was living in Paris, I, um, long story short, I managed to get a job at a culinary bookstore and I um, worked with a lot of authors and started recipe testing on their books. And then a French publisher approached me to do, write two cookbooks in French. After that experience, I said, I really want to write one in English. So I put a little PDF document I emailed 10 publishers saying, I know you're really busy. Give me five minutes. I want to pitch you some ideas. Got on the Eurostar. Out those 10 10 emails, I got three meetings. One meeting, the art director told me, she actually was like, oh, I only wanted to meet you because I want to move to Paris and do what you're doing. So can you give me some advice? (laughs) Oh, thanks. Um, The second meeting was with a publisher said oh you don't have tv so we're not interested but the third Mm. meeting was with um penguin who now penguin random house and the editor she said i love your idea let's talk more and um, from that i got an offer from penguin and then i got a literary agent and then she went back to the other publisher saying oh well, she's just got an offer from this. And so they had a little kind of bit of negotiating position. Yes. So, yeah. so yeah. 
And then I wrote the cookbook, The Little Paris Kitchen. At the same time, I was aware that um, recipe testing, you have a lot of food waste and it costs the ingredients. So I couldn't open a restaurant, but I could fit a table for two in my like 21 square meter like studio, a flat where I lived in. Um, so like I would have lunches where people would come round for lunch. So it was like a pop up. And this was back in 2011. That is so pre 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 time. Like, yeah, I was doing pop ups back in <laughs> 2008. So pre doing wow. a pop up in Paris, I'd done pop ups in Buenos Aires, Sydney, Paris, London, Melbourne, um, Berlin. Amazing. So that was kind of my thing anyway, but I never made any money. You don't make money out of pop-ups. We know that. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just a passion project. So I had this table for two. And then when I'd almost finished writing the cookbook, I said to my literary agent, you know, I think this would make a good TV show. And she said, okay, we tried to approach some production companies in London. We set up some meetings. I met up with production companies. And it's a bit like dating when you meet production company so one production company I was just 30 then and they said oh you're like a bit old um another one said oh I think you need a guy to present with you um another production company said oh I think we should rename the show Queen of Tarts Queen of Tarts (laughs) winner Yeah. Yeah. And then but then I found a small indie production company, Plum Pictures, and they're like, we get you. Don't yeah. need a change. Let's do a little video taster. So they came mm. over to Paris. We did a taster. We pitched it to the networks. Went to meet BBC Two. Um, brought some chocolate biscuits along, and they commissioned. Always a good a, shout. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> they commissioned yeah. uh, the series, which aired in 2012. So the cookbook came before, but then they kind of coordinated the cookbook and the TV show yeah. to go together, and that kind of kicked off everything. Yeah, and that went everywhere, didn't it? I mean, that was yeah. in sort of yeah, so many countries. Yeah, um, I think it's fourteen languages. The cookbook has been translated into now. Wow. So TV show, I don't know anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. And how did that feel at the time? Did it feel like it was quite a you know a quick sort of you know success um, trajectory, or did it feel you know how did it feel to you? Well, so when I signed the book deal with Penguin. So I was living in this tiny studio and I had to go to the laundrette. So it was free. I lived on the third floor. So you had to walk down three flights, then walk up another set of stairs to get to the laundrette and stay at the laundrette with real pain. So with my first advance, I bought a tiny little top loader uh, washing machine, which I could fit into my bathroom. Um, and the, the kind of wastewater pipe had to go into the bathtub because you couldn't connect it. I, mean, I thought <laughs> I had made it. Yeah. That was when I was like, I've made it in life. Yeah. I have a washing machine. That yeah. was like, there was, and then when the TV show happened, because I was still living in Paris, um, I only got that feeling because social media wasn't, it was no. there, but it wasn't like the way it is nowadays. So I kind of got that feeling, oh, well, it's definitely happened in the UK, kind of, but back in Paris, nobody knew who I was, you know, it was no big deal. So, um, Yeah, and that's what I really enjoyed because now I live in Sweden that I'm so removed from it. Like every day, on an everyday basis, I'm like, I'm one of those slummy mummies. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What is that? Tell us. What's that? You don't know Bettina. I'm still in, I went for a run this morning and I have not changed. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Yes. That's fine. But I'm one too. (laughs) 
So yeah, so that's how I kind of got on TV, and and then from then, I just started doing more cookbooks, more TV, and yeah, and here I am now. I, I, suppose, I, suppose, I suppose, suppose these days, like anything else, like getting book deals and things, they probably would want you to have a, a huge social media following first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, social media is, uh, it's like, if you don't have a platform nowadays, it's pretty tough, actually, which is sad yeah. because there are a lot of writers out there who have amazing ideas, but don't get the opportunity, don't get the publication deals. Yeah. So, um, but you've got to remember, publishing, it's business. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, publishers want to make sure they get their their return they make they they can't they're not in it for the charity so it's understandable they want to minimize the risk and that's why when i first pitched my book the little paris kitchen the publisher said you don't have tv it's, i was unknown it's too risky for them so yeah yeah so, so so yeah exactly so now i suppose instead if people have already put the work in and you know got a proven audience that is definitely a, a, a little bit of reassurance for a publisher isn't it or a production yes. company or something that you know that yeah. you can actually have an you know engage with an audience and people will maybe someone will want to see it or buy it i think it's not necessary people always think oh you've got so many thousands of followers i don't think numbers matter it's like the engagement the quantity the quality of your audience yeah. because yeah. um I've realized when I look at my analytics, I'm not, I'm not very good at analytics, but um, my book sales do not correspond to uh, the amount of followers I have. And I think the people yeah. who follow me on social are more interested in my TV work than actually my cookbooks. Yeah. So where I get the most engagement from is like, or like people buy my cookbooks is via my newsletters. Really um, interesting. And I always remind people, this is where I've had a blog since, or website, I started my blog in 2006 to like, you can actually, if you go back to the first post on my website, you can see I take a photo of a, a biscuit I made at uh, Le Cordon Bleu oh, Culinary yeah. School and it's like, I made it the wrong way, but it still tastes good. <laughs> yeah. No, like, uh, so that's why I started blogging. But if you use, like, always remember, control your platform like the newsletter the subscriber email like the list of emails you own that you own um that website you every time you post something on your website google will reference you and help you with the seo whereas like facebook instagram twitter tiktok that can finish tomorrow or yeah. like in half an hour yeah so, totally and, yeah 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 exactly that's why you know um uh, from you know when I started um but obviously I had a sort of you know um a background in sort of marketing and social media and digital marketing but yeah I mean I started everything together and it was I was I felt you know that you know my website is as important if not more important longer term obviously no one was looking at it initially but uh you know but yeah you own that platform so basically you know when if Instagram goes tomorrow at least the sort of way of communicating and people you know accessing your your stuff um you mentioned before that you come from a multicultural background. So you live in Sweden, but where did you where did you grow up and where are your parents from? So my uh, my mum is from Austria, not Australia, yeah. Austria. You know that country yeah. in the middle yes. of Europe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Apple strudel. 
Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so they live in the mountains on the Swiss side. Uh, and I spent like most of my childhood, summer holidays, Easter, Christmas there. And then my dad's oh, from wow. Malaysia, but uh, the Chinese. So my great grandparents are from uh, the Canton region. So I have, uh, I grew up in the UK, but I lived in Germany yeah. when I was a teenager. Mm. So I have all these kind of mixture of things. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I am very open to, I love other cultures and mix it and learning things. And, you know, I'm not afraid of that. And that's partly because of how I grew up um, back in the 80s. And my mum used to tell me she had to go to the pharmacy to get olive oil. I mean, that was the state <laughs> of English food. Yeah, well, <laughs> 80s is not a good era. <laughs> so that's my age for you. But um, I grew up with like, you know, rendang curry chicken porridge schnitzel we always had a sunday roast there's a real hodgepodge of um like food culture and then my best friend at primary school who was a next door neighbor she got chicken nuggets and chips which i thought was the best and i was really annoyed with my mum that she wouldn't give us chicken nugget chips but in hindsight i realized i'm so i was so fortunate i am so fortunate to have grown up with such a variety uh, of experiences and and so rich would you say so i mean because obviously you know well i think that yeah influences come from from everywhere and i'm the same you know from all sorts of countries and you know lots of traveling and things but i mean but i've just i mean i particularly i just absolutely love sort of you know um, asian food and indian food is my real sort of um passion have you got a specific region that you think that you always come back to or you're most inspired by I go through phases. <laughs> I mean, at the moment, to be honest, at the moment, it's all about, I'm trying to use up all the food in my fridge. One of the big things of being sustainable is like food waste, like just yeah. not wasting food. Like I'm really definitely. like think about what have I got in my fridge? Make sure you don't chuck it out. Like, so I I really like always trying to use up leftovers. <laughs> it's like, it gets like revamped, <laughs> it yeah. gets restyled as a new dish the following day. Yeah, so I, I'm always about using up and what country or where it comes from depends on what I have to use up. And so what was mm. it today? I had a bit of puff pastry left over, which had got dry and shriveled on the edge, <laughs> but I could still <laughs> use it. Yeah, yeah. The roasted tomatoes and a, like a chunk of cheese, which like it's just like that little bit left. You can't use it for anything. So that went on yeah. top and um, a few random vegetables. So um, I think that was a little bit French. <laughs> probably. <love> that. <laughs> yeah, use it up. I, that's my biggest bugbear as well in terms of food waste. It's it's it infuriates me if people throw things away and especially best before dates without even tasting and smelling stuff it just it really really annoys me and now there's some fantastic apps um like there's the olio app where you can donate your leftovers which is incredible especially if you're recipe testing um so yeah no i agree with you there um what what have you got up coming up next you've got you mentioned tv shows you've got a book coming out as well tell us all about so, it your ebook my ebook so basically yeah. um rachel Koo's simple pleasures the tv show which is out on the food network um it was made under lockdown conditions and i was supposed to film another tv show which would have had a bigger crew but that got postponed which meant so many freelancers they lost out on a paycheck 
And I thought, well, how about if I donate all the recipes, I kind of combine all the recipes from Rachel Koo's Simple Pleasures TV series, make that into ebook. And so you can buy that on my website for £5 and all the proceeds is going to the film and TV charity UK who are doing amazing work. Like they've got a hotline for mental support, financial support. And I know it was really hard choosing a charity, but I just felt I wanted to give back to the industry who have given this opportunity to me. And also people forget the people behind the scenes you yeah. know they only see me but actually yeah. there's so many people who make the tv show amazing you know and um yeah so like i really like if you can't buy the book then just share tell somebody about it or share you know like it on social media it really really helps so appreciate that and then apart from yeah. that i've got i've actually got a new podcast series which i think <gasps> you'd be really interested in um but i can't say too much about it but it's looking at whether veganism is the answer to sustainability oh that sounds great because it's because it's such a complex issue and and people don't actually know the answers and because there's many things you have to consider we've had many conversations about this on on the podcast haven't we Bettina yeah definitely and I think it's it's such a gray zone it's not as simple as vegan or not vegan I mean it really isn't and um i can be quite opinionated about about it sometimes and uh, there's it's such a gray gray area and it's such a good topic and i think seven to eight years ago when i started out it was quite simple but with sort of so many companies jumping on the bandwagon so many things that have happened within farming and agriculture and so much information out there it's uh, it's not as simple as and it's a great topic to dig into. Yeah, I mean, I learned so much. For instance, I learned there's a farmer in Switzerland who found something from sea, a component in seaweed. Who, he feeds this component to his cows, which mm. means that they fart less. They create less really? gases. Yeah, so that wow, wow. just like, yeah. I mean, that's amazing. Um, yeah. That is amazing. The, the biggest, uh, like dairy, like how we consume dairy is actually like in medical products. Um, uh, so mainly medical products. So if you were to find a substitute for the milk powder they use in tablets, then you would immediately, wow. immediately reduce the amount of dairy we need to create. So mm. there's a woman who's in this like food tech trying to find a solution for that. Um, so it was really, uh, really interesting and exciting to kind of explore that. Um, and also, it, you know, it, it really pushed me to think about how I consume food and on what I want to be doing as a food writer. Yeah, can't wait Amazing. for that to come out. That can't wait for that. So we're, um, we're running out of time. It's been so <gasps> nice to have you. But we've got one last question. Yes. And um, we always ask this question right at the end. It's Bettina's special question. <laughs> <laughs> So last but not least, words that you live by or advice that somebody's given you that you've thought, ah, this is this is good. And you've sort of taken that to heart. Anything that pops out or comes um, to mind? Well, I always have to say, like my mum, like my mum is a woman of many uh, <laughs> wise words. There's, there's one phrase she, she said, or when, just before the Little Paris Kitchen TV show came out, she kind of sat me down and said, Rachel, look, things are going to change. There's just one thing I want you to remember is stay true to yourself. So no matter what comes around, what offers you, like 
stay true to yourself, which means it doesn't matter what you decide. You can always look back and you're like, I did the right decision for me then because I was staying true to myself. Thank you so much. We've absolutely loved having you. It's so nice to... Um we could have sat here for ages and ages and chatted through loads of different things we're really looking forward to seeing all your new projects coming to life can't wait for the podcast as well and yeah thank you for coming thank coming you on to so our podcast. much Rachel thank you so much it's a pleasure I'm always happy people want to talk to me <laughs> thank you very much for listening we really do hope you enjoy our food conversations Absolutely. And please feel free to follow us on our socials, Bettina's Kitchen and Rebel Recipes. And of course, all of this has been made possible thanks to our sponsor, Odyssey, who supply incredible Greek and Mediterranean flavours and ingredients. You can see it all for yourself, along with some brilliant recipe ideas on the website, which is odyssey.com, spelt O-D-Y-S-E-A. And don't forget that as a listener to our podcast, you get an exclusive 15% off on your order just by using the code WTF15 at the checkout. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button to get more podcast episodes and please feel free to give us a five-star rating. Happy cooking and we'll see you soon. 